0: Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, and once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately, to his own disciples, he explained everything. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: So, once again, good morning. My name is J.T. Tarter, and I'm a pastoral intern at McLean Presbyterian Church. And um, both your pastors, Paul and Silas, are out of town this week. And uh, don't worry, um, next week they're both going to be here. And so King's Cross will be running all cylinders back to normal form. And so, uh, so, so don't, don't, don't be worried about that. Um, but last week when I was here, if you remember, we were dealing with the Old Testament. And we talked about this idea of the kindness of the king. And specifically, we were looking at a story in 2 Samuel about King David and this guy named Mephibosheth. And if you remember... We were looking at the relationship between King David and Mephibosheth, and we were asking really two questions. First, um, does this story give us an example of kindness? But secondly, does this story between David and Mephibosheth, does it point to something beyond itself? Does it point to something uh, beyond just the, the interaction between those two? And what we, what we determined was that it does. Well, that actually it points us to our relationship with King Jesus and the kindness that we've experienced, and so just like Mephibosheth, we uh, we were we were apart from the King, but because of the King's kindness, He has brought us close. And if you remember, Mephibosheth was completely lame, unable to come to the King's table. And yet the king shows him kindness and brings him in, brings him to the table, restores everything back to him, just like how King Jesus restores everything back to us. And even more so, he doesn't just make him a neutral party, but he also brings him to his table and makes him as part of, as one of his sons, just like how Jesus does with us. And so now as we're part of the family of God, we are not ostracized or we're not kind of put in the outer courts. We are part of God's family. We are sons and daughters of the king because the king has shown us kindness. Well, this morning, we're going, to be, we're going to be going New Testament. So I feel, you know, as I was putting it together, I feel like that was pretty good. Hit Old Testament, hit New Testament, you know? Get, knock it all out in two weeks. But before we go too far, let me pray. Let me ask the Lord again to speak to us. So let's pray together. Father, this is your word and we are people. Please speak to us by your spirit. Teach us what you have to teach us. Tell us what you have to tell us. And Lord, most importantly, would you by your, by your spirit open up our hearts and minds to receive it. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So something I love about Northern Virginia is all of the plant life. I remember when we first moved here two years ago. My wife's actually from Northern Virginia, and so she already knew this. But I love all of the green trees. I love all of the plants, all of the flowers. Um, I love it. And my wife and I were really fortunate because the house that we purchased when we first got here, it has awesome flowers all throughout Um in the backyard, front yard, side yard. Um, however, this can be a little, uh, this can be a little deceptive because often people will come when we'll be out in the yard playing with our dog or whatever, playing with our kids, and they'll think that we are like good gardeners or we're good with our yard, which is the farthest thing from the truth. I'm a horrible gardener. In fact, I even feel like call, even putting the word gardener, calling myself a horrible gardener, even associating me with gardener is like an overstatement, right? Um, just to give you an example of that. Early on in our marriage, um, so uh, like nine years ago, we had purchased a house. We were living up in Michigan, and we had purchased a house, and so we were living out there, and I was just really busy with with work and and tons of other things, and so I was kind of letting our yard, you know, not do well. And so our, our yard was starting to look like something from like Jurassic Park, right? And so weeds were growing everywhere. And so, um, and, and Sarah was very nice to me, and just like, hey, babe, you, you need to, you need to get out there. We're gonna get a letter from the HOA. You need to get out there, right? And so, finally, um, I had a Saturday morning that was free, and so I go out there, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really get in there and do the work. So I, so I go out there, and I'm, I'm pulling weeds. So an hour passes, two hours pass, three hours pass, four hours pass, just on weeds. So you can imagine how many weeds I had to pull. Okay, and finally, Sarah comes out. And uh, she comes to bring me something to drink after four long hours or three or four long hours of of just weeding. And um, I'm, if I'm being honest, inwardly, I was so excited when I saw her because I had this huge pile of weeds sitting there. And I was like, man, she's going to see all the work I did. And she's going to be so impressed. And she's going to be like, man, that's my man. Look at him getting his work done. Okay. And she comes out. She comes out kind of quietly. And I'm still like pulling weeds. I want her to think I'm still at it. Right. And she starts looking through the weeds, and um, and I see her kind of focusing in on and start pulling some out, and she lifts them up and she says, "Hey, babe, what are these?" And I said, uh, what, what, are, how, "What are what, babe? You know, just just over here working, you know." And she goes, "These uh, these long, slender ones with the little white bulbs at the bottom. What are these?" And I say, "Oh, babe, th- those are onions. I pulled those out. I don't know how they got in, right?" And she goes onions. I was like, yeah, yeah, I think those are onions or something. I don't know how they got in our flower bed. And she goes, babe, these are tulips. These are tulips. And I mean, there was, there had to have been like 12 of them or something. I mean, am I lying here? Like just a ton. And she was really gracious to me. Um, but I had, I had pulled up these beautiful tulips because I thought they were onions because I don't know anything about gardening. I have no idea what I'm doing, right? And so the issue is That I had no expectations and I had no knowledge about what was a weed and what wasn't. What was bad and what was good. I had no knowledge and no expectations. I had attempted a task that I I was not equipped for. I had attempted a task that I had no idea how it was supposed to go. And so, like an idiot, I'm pulling up these things that I think are onions, but are actually these beautiful flowers. This, This week, we're going to be getting into a New Testament story, as we just read. And specifically, we're asking the question, how does the kingdom grow? How does the kingdom grow? And that's the title of the message this morning. How does the kingdom grow? And this is an important question. And it's important because, especially for the situation that you and I find ourselves in. And what I mean by that is, so I eventually one day, I want to be a church planter. That's what I feel called to do with my life. So the question of how does the kingdom grow is really important. Um, also, you all, you're a part of a church plan. And so this question of how does the kingdom grow is also really important. And it's important because we don't want to end up going out there and pulling up, thinking we're pulling up weeds or thinking that something's growing and it's, when it's not supposed to be growing, or maybe even expecting something to grow and it's not growing and thinking that something's wrong. And so, a little backstory to our passage. So again, we're in Mark chapter 4. That's where the parables that Jesus says, or that's what the parables that Jesus, uh, has for us this morning. But we need to actually go before that in order to get some context. So if you look at Mark chapter 3, verse 13, I'll read it for you. It says this. It says, And he went up on the mountains, this is Jesus, and he went up on the mountain and called to them those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So I used to be in the army before I came into vocational ministry. And something we did anytime in the, in the, in the military, in the army, if you have a history of that, then maybe you know this as well, that, um, something, anytime we had a mission, we did it before we prepared for it was we kind of had a three-step process. So we would first identify who the leaders were, the team leaders, or the team in general. Secondly, we would, we would identify what the general objectives were, so the foundational objectives of that mission. And third, we would begin to get into the nitty-gritty details of whatever that mission could be. So there was kind of this three-step process. And what you see is in Mark's gospel, this same kind of three-step process. So Mark chapter 3, like I just read, he's identifying his leadership. He's, he's call, he calls up the 12, 12 uh, disciples, and he, he names them as, as, as his disciples and also as apostles. And then next, in, the, in the, the following chapters, he's laying out the big objectives, the foundational principles of what they're going to be doing. And this is so important because pretty soon here, he's going to send them out to preach. He's going to send them out to extend his kingdom throughout the world. And so they need to know what this looks like. And so Jesus is doing that to prepare them. He's doing it to prepare them. Um, A little while back, I decided I I wanted to start training for a marathon. And having been in the military, I have a little bit of history with running, but not really competitively. And if you've ever trained for a marathon or if you've ever wanted to train for a marathon, you know the first step, which is you go Google, train for a marathon, right? So I go Google, train for a marathon, and what I found, which was really helpful for me, was these training plans they had called Couch to Marathon training plans. You know, like you, you just hanging out on a couch, you know, Netflixing it up, and you decide you want to go for a marathon. You can go find a training plan, and so it's great. Um, but the reason why these are so helpful is because it two, two really two things. One, it gives you a training plan like Jesus gives us. But secondly, it keeps you from having false expectations. Right, so many people they often start. They say, "I want to train for a marathon," and if they don't have a, a good training plan, then they they're, they're wondering why at week three they're not running a six minute mile. Right? No, anybody who's who's, run, who's who runs knows that that would be crazy. That's a, that's a bad expectation. So these training plans are helpful because they don't give you false expectations. And to put it simply, Jesus is trying to provide simple clarity for his de- for his disciples on what they should expect as his kingdom is extended into the world. And in the same way this morning, it provides us with clarity, It provides us um, an understanding of what we should expect as we serve Jesus in our world. So again, um, if you noticed in the reading, there's two parables this morning, but the same general message. So, um, so you'll see once we get into the second parable, which is the mustard seed parable, it's not, even though it's a separate parable, it's the same general message, the same general theme. It just kind of adds some more definition to the, to the, to the general message. So let's begin in Mark chapter four, verse 26. It begins with Jesus speaking. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And here's the transition to the next parable. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So point number one this morning. We see this in verse 26. The kingdom of God is like seed and brings life. So again, point one is the kingdom of God is like seed and brings life. This analogy of the kingdom of God as seed is used all throughout the Gospels, all throughout Scripture, really. Um, And it serves as a great analogy, especially given given the fact that the society at this time was agrarian. And so they understood this connection between seed and farming. And to be honest, even though we, we instinctively, we understand that our food comes from farms, right? We all know that. Um, we still don't understand the, the deeper implications as they would understand. Because for them, since pretty much everybody farmed in some, in some capacity, and they understood that to farm, you needed what? You needed seed. And so since farming brought life, they understood at its most foundational principle, seeds brought life. In order to get food, you had to have the seeds. right? And so it makes sense when Jesus calls the kingdom of God and, and relates the kingdom of God to a seed because because he 's explaining to them, hey, and they, all they 're understanding this because this is their, this is their society this this is, the, this is what they understand, and sometimes we can we cannot see this that the kingdom of life brings life that 's the, that's the purpose of god 's kingdom coming in, into the world is to restore all things back to himself to bring life again, and sometimes we can miss that because we don 't necessarily don 't necessarily understand within within their context um, point number two. The kingdom of God grows often without our understanding. And we see this in verse 27 and 28. The kingdom of God grows often without our understanding. I remember my son Josiah was so excited when in class when he, uh, and maybe when you, when you get in like kindergarten and first grade, they get to often do that little project where they put the little seeds in little pots, you know, and, uh, and they do, and they, they, they water them, and then a number of days go by, and I remember my son Josiah was so excited when he went back to his class, and the little sprout had sprouted up, right? And he was so excited, and I remember we were driving in the car, and he said to me, he said, Dad, my, my seedling, it, it sprouted, and I was like, oh man, that's awesome, buddy, that's great. And uh, but then he asked the question that I, I really didn't want him to ask was yeah dad how did it do that I'm like I don't, I don't know buddy and he was just persistent he was like no dad but how how did it do that and he, I mean and I I didn't I, I couldn't tell him I'm like dad I'm like son I was I was a history major you know I don't I don't know how it did that you know but I didn't tell him that because I'm a dad I'm trying to keep it all together and I'm like well you know it's chemical reaction. I know I took a chemistry class somewhere. I'm like, it's a chemical reaction or something. And he's like, yeah, but how did, but what kind of chemical reaction? And I did, I said what every good dad says when, when, when stumped by his son, I said, well, your mom will be home in a little bit. Just ask her. And so, but the point is when the word of God is spread, a seed is spread, whether it be our family members or our coworkers or friends, we often have no understanding for how God's work, how God works in, in, in our midst. Okay. The God, or so, so we understand that when it talks about the kingdom of God as seed, um, later on in Scripture, in the epistles, we we hear that this seed is specifically the gospel, the word of God. And so the gospel is really simple. The gospel is the story, the good news of Jesus coming, that God sent Jesus, that Jesus died upon a cross for our sins. Although that he was sinless, he took on our sin on the cross, that he died, three days later he rose again, and then he stayed with his disciples and taught for a number of days, and then he ascended it to the right hand of God the Father. And the good news of this is that our sins, although we have sin and we have separation between God, like we talked about last week, although we have this separation, we can now, this separation can be taken away because of Jesus' blood. Because his blood washes us clean of all of our sins. So we can be brought back into God's family. So this good news, this gospel, this seedling of the kingdom, we plant it, we talk to people about Jesus, and then by God's grace, it grows, often without our understanding. And I can't tell you how many times um, I've had conversations with people from just, and, and I know often it can, if we're getting really practical here, when we're talking about evangelism, it can often be really difficult to think about, well, how am I going to have that kind of gospel conversation with a coworker? How am I going to have that kind of gospel conversation with a family member? And I would tell you that God works in amazing and mysterious ways. And what I mean by that is I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people um, by just, I'll, I'll, get into the, I'll get in conversation with them. And, and through conversation, I'll say something to this effect. I'll just, I'll just say, yeah, man, without, without the grace of God, I don't know where I'd be. And then God takes that small little meager effort, and they, they'll usually say something like, well, what do you mean by that? And it'll start stirring a conversation. So God uses these little seedlings that look so small And he does amazing things with him. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And that leads us to our point number three, which is that God gives the growth. If point two was the kingdom of God grows often without our understanding, point three is God is the one who grows it. God is the one who does these miraculous things. And here's the thing to remember is often with evangelism, we can be afraid because we feel like we need to get results, right? We think that evangelism or or proper evangelism means that somebody comes to know Jesus. But we need to begin thinking more like a farmer. What does a farmer do? They cast the seed. They cast the seed and they wait on the Lord. And so a, a farmer, when they go out to farm, they don't immediately expect that the very next day there's going to be a produce, right, or a harvest. No, they cast the seed, they water occasionally when they need to, and they wait on the Lord because the Lord is the one who gives the growth. Quick little story about this. Actually, it's not a quick story, but it's a good story. Um, I'm never good with quick stories, but long stories are always way better. Um, My wife and I, before, before we moved here, we were involved in college ministry, college and student ministry. And uh, we, our college ministry had really grown, and um, grown so much that our, our students were really excited about um, about evangelism. And so they had been asking, "Hey, JT, can we do can you do a sermon series on evangelism?" So every every week in our big group, um, they're like, "Hey, can you do can you do this sermon?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. Let me put it together." And so I put it together, and I did this, this series on evangelism, and right after, like, I think it was the second week of doing this series, um, one of the kids in our, in our ministry, he came up, and um, his name was Luke, and Luke comes to me, and he says, JT, I, I want my friend Dom to come to know Jesus. I said, sweet, man, that's awesome. And he says, yeah, but what do I do? And I, I kind of looked at him, and I was like, yeah, just go talk to him about Jesus. He goes, yeah, yeah, but, but, but what do I do? So Little, little backstory. Luke ended up becoming an engineer. Okay. I hope that's really clear. Okay. He wanted like a step by step process. Okay. Um, and so he says, Yeah, but what do I do? And I said, Okay. Um, you know what, Luke? Go home and for the next week pray and ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do. And then next week, let's get together after big group and we'll talk again about it. And it sounds it sounds really spiritual to me to be like yeah go home and pray ask the spirit what I should do but if I'm being completely honest it was like man this will this this will buy me a week right and I'll go home I'll go home and I'll like read some books and I'll figure out what he needs to do and then I'll go give it to him so I did that I come back the next week and after a big group I say hey Luke come on over here and or he comes up to me rather and he's really excited and I say what's up man he goes JT I did it and I said you you did what he goes he goes I. I told Dom about, the God, about Jesus. And I said, oh, sweet, man, that's awesome. What'd you say? And he goes, I didn't say anything. And my, my head turned a little bit, and I said, what, what do you mean you didn't say anything? And he goes, well, and before I tell you, pause, before I tell you what Luke did, um, I'm, I'm no master at evangelism, okay? But if I was to make my top five ways of what I don't think will work, Luke's will certainly make that list. Okay, so Luke tells me he didn't say anything. When I ask, when I ask him, "What did he, what did he? Okay, what did you do?" He says, "I wrote him a paper." Like, and I'm trying to smile. I'm like, "Really? Like you did?" He goes, "Yeah, I wrote him a paper, all about why he needs to come know Jesus." And I'm like, "Okay, how? how like, what? What do you mean?" And 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 I promise you, so he wrote him a ten page. Times New Roman, 12.5, one-inch margins, Chicago-style, right? Paper on why his friend Dom needed to come to know Jesus. And if I'm being honest, in that moment, when Luke's telling me this, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, man, uh, we'll get the next one. You know, like, man, you know, we, we tried, but, man, this is a, a swing and a miss. And he just reveals my lack of faith, right? Two weeks later, Dom starts coming. It's a big group. And then a couple more weeks, he starts coming to church. He comes to know Jesus. Uh, months, months later, he's baptized. And then um, about two years later, his dad, um, his parents were divorced, really messy marriage. So his dad um, kind of sees the change in Dom. And so his dad starts coming to church. His dad becomes a Christian. And then, you can't make this stuff up. Um, and then his his brother, who was a drug dealing brother, <laughs> uh, starts coming to coming to church, and he becomes a Christian. And so then you've got the three of them in church every Sunday. And then his mom, and again, his mom and dad are divorced, really messy divorce, and she's remarried. Um, she sees what happens to his brother, that his brother has become a Christian, and she's now interested in what, what's, what, are, you know, what are they putting in the water here at this church? right? And so she starts coming. And she's not a Christian yet, um, and neither is her, her new husband, but we're, we're praying that God will do something. Uh, but every Sunday, this family is sitting in church together. God gives the growth. God does amazing things. And this, uh, this leads us to our final point, which is the kingdom of God starts small and, looked, and looks insignificant, but it grows. If you remember the mustard seed parable, the mustard seed is a very, very small seed. Again, it looks insignificant. Okay? It looks like something that will never grow, that will never do well. It looks like a 10-page parable. 12-point font paper. Yeah. But what does it have? It has the truth of the gospel in it. And so it's planted and it grows. And God uses these meager efforts that we have and he does amazing things and he gives huge growth. And why does he do this? He does this for his glory. He does this in order to show off before his kids. I often say that being a part of the family of God is often like you're at a, uh, you're at a, at a, um, a carnival. And have you ever taken little kids to a carnival? They're just amazed at everything. They see the lights, they see the the food, they see the games, they see everything. And that's often how uh, working in the kingdom of God is. God is doing all these amazing things, and and all we have to do is be faithful in the little thing. I'm just talking to people about Jesus faithfully, spreading the seed, and he does these amazing, amazing things. A couple quick points of application before I close for us. And I'm going to begin corporately and then I'm going to go go personally. So first, uh, corporate application. And when I say corporate application, I mean for the church. So specifically for you here at King's Cross. Um, as a church plant, and again, I think I said last week that I, I became a Christian at a church plant. I was baptized at a church plant. Um, it can often feel exhausting. It can often feel like you begin questioning whether or not you're really gaining traction, um, whether or not you're doing anything that's worth, what, just whether or not it's, it's what you're doing is, is bearing fruit, right? And I would tell you that what, this, what these parables tell us about kingdom growth is that church ministry takes time. It would be crazy for a farmer to go plant his seed and then expect that the very next day or even days later that there would immediately be a crop that he can harvest, Church ministry takes time, so don't lose heart. Be encouraged. Continue at it. Continue to do what God has called you to do, and don't lose heart. Um, this can become difficult. This can become difficult because in our cult, we live in a culture that idolizes the immediate growth. We live in a culture that idolizes the immediate growth. And, and I want to say, first off, like praise God when God does something amazing, and a church is planted and it grows to 1,000 people within two weeks. Praise God when he does that. But so often the stories that we hear, um, and maybe maybe, I'm, I'm, maybe you, you haven't read these stories, but being in church ministry, I hear these stories all the time. Um, but so often these stories, um, sometimes it's these amazing revivals that God is doing, but sometimes you don't always hear the full story. For example, my wife and I, we were serving in a, in a great church uh, before in Michigan. It was a revitalization. We saw God do some amazing things, um, but it, again, it was a slow growth. It was a slow growth. But by God's grace, he grew. He grew it. Um, but then there was a church down the street of, a, of a, a pastor that we had become friends with, a really great guy. Um, and their church, first Sunday, there were 400 people. And they began doing all of these, you know, Christianity Today, I think, came in, did, a, did a, uh, an article about him. And, and then they had all these different people from all over the country kind of, you know, what's your secret? And they would give their secret. And um, and we just kind of stayed quiet during the entire thing because we knew that um, that church had started because it was a split from another church. Right? It was a church of 1,000 that had broken off into two separate churches. And so they had 400 people because it was a split. Right? Um, but so often these are the stories you hear in church planning, of the, is of this immediate crazy growth. Um, and I, I just want to encourage you this morning that God has called you to this amazing venture of church planning here in Ashburn. And um, it's very clear from the, the interaction that I've had with the people here that, um, that God is at work and God is doing amazing things. And so don't become disheartened. Don't become discouraged. Um, remember that kingdom growth takes time. It was important for the disciples to know this so that as they went out to preach and to extend the kingdom, that they knew that it was a slow process. And just remember that. It's a slow process. Secondly, personal application. And this is for our lives and for others. Gospel, and again, same point. Gospel growth takes time. And what this means is that you need to give grace to yourselves, to your families, and to others. So first of all, give grace to yourself. It can often be so frustrating. Maybe in your personal life, there's a sin that that you are constantly struggling with. You're like Paul, who 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 was warring with his flesh, and you're praying to God and saying, God, why why can't you relieve this? Why am I wrestling with this? And we we need to remember, and this isn't a discount for you not to continue wrestling with it. Please continue wrestling with it, but give yourself grace. Don't let that affect your assurance of your salvation. Don't let that affect your belief that God is working your life. Gospel growth often takes time. Secondly, with your families. Maybe there's strife and issue in your family. Likely there is, because that's the way it is with any family. Any marriage, any, any, with kids. Maybe you've seen your kids, you're, you're dedicating time with your kids. Maybe you're doing catechisms, or you're doing Bible stories, or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, it just doesn't seem to be taking root. I would encourage you to keep at it. Remember that gospel growth takes time. I often use this analogy with, with as I talk to people about um, kids' ministry. Um, my dad owned a construction company, and so he they built new construction, um, so new homes. And something you would always do is you would, before you would ever turn on the electricity, you would get in and you would wire the house. We put all the wiring in there, and there's no electricity going to it. You're just wiring the house, getting it ready. And it wasn't until all the different outlets and electricity and wires are in there that you would then turn on the switch, and then you'd see, you'd see kind of it, it juiced up. And so often with our kids, that's how it is. In the very early stages, we're just creating the wiring in our house with our catechisms and our memory verses and with you know, story time and the Bible or whatever it is. We're wiring the house, and ultimately, we're waiting for God to turn on the electricity. Waiting for God to send in the juice, and then all those those little bells and whistles start going off. It's the amazing thing that God does. Finally, with others, maybe you have you've had small conversations about grace with your coworkers or your friends, and you're just trying to figure out, Lord, when are you gonna when are you gonna do something? I've had conversation after conversation after conversation, or maybe you've tried to, and they're just not after it. And last story this, this morning, I promise, is. Um, I had a friend who I had uh, tried to talk to about Jesus a number of times, over and over again. Um, we would always go out, and we'd ha- have a bonfire, and we'd be with a couple other friends, and it would always, some way I'd steer it back to talking about Jesus, um, and, and we'd, we'd talk about it. And finally, after like the fourth or fifth time, my friend says to me, JT, enough. I, I just, said, I love you, we're friends, but I just don't think I need that right now just don't think I need that. I've got my work. I've got this. I, I just don't think I need that. And I said, okay. I just left it alone. Six months later, or actually more like nine months later, nine months later, we're sitting in a Chinese restaurant, and he says to me, out of the blue, I, I, I really did leave it alone. I didn't, you know, he, he wanted me to leave it alone. I left it alone. I said, okay, I've done, you know, I've done my part, Lord, whatever. And he comes to me and says, hey, uh, can we talk? And I said, yeah, sure. He says, you remember all that stuff you used to tell me? I said, yeah. He goes, I think I believe it now. And again, like my, like my, my, my guy Luke, I was like, you believe what stuff right now? You know? <laughs> he goes, no, I, I, think I, I think I believe that stuff. And, and uh, we start talking about it and he believes in Jesus. He believes the gospel. God did an amazing thing. God lit the switch. And God gives growth. And so we need to give grace to others, realizing that the Lord works in his timing and it's, it's a slow process. But you know what? It is so worth the wait. It is so worth the wait. A couple other little applications with each of those. Because gospel growth takes time, I want to ask you this morning, what small things, remember going back to the mustard seed, what small things are you doing in your life in order to, to contribute to that gospel growth? If the Lord uses these small little mustard seeds of the gospel, I'd encourage you, right? So for yourself, what does your, your day look like? What does your day look like? Often we think that, you know, it's the super Christians that wake up at 4 a.m. and open their Bible and have these hour-long, you know, meditation with the Lord. But let me ask you, what about, what about the small thing over your lunch break? Your lunch break, it's so easy. If you're like me, it's so easy to eat my lunch and then to pull up on my phone and to, to, to look at the news so I can kind of be up to date with what's going on. But how, not, how about we put our phone aside and just spend 10 minutes with the Lord? Opening up your Bible, reading, just 10 minutes. And I, and I want to tell you, that's, that's not, that's, that may look small, but, but just see what the Lord does with it. See what the Lord does with it just 10 minutes a day during your lunch break. Or with your family members. Again, I don't know what your family, what your family rhythms are like, but with your kids, again, we often look at the super, it's the super parents that are having these amazing devotions with their kids at this ma- amazing time of catechisms that their kids know all the Bible stories. But what are you doing maybe for breakfast or for dinner? Or maybe right before your kids going to sleep, go to sleep, are you sitting down and are you, you know, just open up, the, whether it's a historic Bible or your own Bible, and just read a parable. Talk through it. Spend five or ten minutes and then pray with your kids. And it can look small, but the amazing things that the Lord can do with just these small little gospel seeds. And finally, with your friends, with others, your coworkers, whoever it may be, building relationships with them, and then seeing what the Lord does through these relationships and seeing what the Lord does maybe through, through conversations as you talk about any number of things, and just being there, being a good friend, and seeing what the Lord does with these little small seedlings of gospel kingdom extension. And So with that, I'll be around here um, at the bottom. Um, if you want to talk after the sermon, I'm, I'm always here. So with that, let's pray. Let's thank the Lord for, for his word this morning. Father, we thank you, God, that you have drawn us out of darkness, and brought us into your light. And Lord, we thank you that it's, it's in this light that we can, try, we can find fullness of joy. It's in this light that we can find what we were meant to be. And God, that we can find your love and that we can find purpose. And God, I, I do pray, I pray that you would help us to believe these truths. God, you would help us to believe that you do amazing things through, very, through things that seem so small, like ourselves. Seem seems so meager, seems so insignificant, but God, that you do amazing things through these small little acts of faith, these small little seedlings of your kingdom. You bring life. So God, I pray that you would do that in the people here this morning. I pray that you would, you would allow them, give them the grace to, to have, whether it's devotions with themselves or with their families, or, or maybe even conversations with their coworkers. God, I pray that you would create those conversations. You would create those opportunities for them to talk to talk to their coworkers about Jesus, talk to their families about Jesus. And Lord, that, that you, would, you would show off to them. You would show off to them how you, how you work and how you create amazing growth out of these small little things. So God, be with us as we go into our weeks. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Confront us where we need to be confronted. And Lord, in all these things, remind us of your truth, that we are completely and wholly loved because of your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.